come before you, we recognize that you are the sovereign God over all of the universe. Jesus, we acknowledge that you are high and lifted up, that you have been seated at the right hand of the Father, and that you tell us in Ephesians that all authority, all power that has been given to you, it tells, it tells us that you have all things under your feet, all under your dominion, the powers, the principalities, the uh, forces of darkness, all these things are under your feet. You have authority over everything. And I thank you that you also tell us in that same place that we are seated with you in the heavenlies. Not someday, but now. And that all things that are under your feet we're right beside you. All things are under our feet, your authority. And we take your authority this morning and declare that this is holy ground. That your blood would cover over all that takes place and that, Jesus, you would reign supremely. That all manner of plans or even strongholds of the enemy would be bound in this moment right here. That ears would be loose to hear maybe for the first time. Lord, that we will be loosed into a victory that you want for us to free us. We just declare that you and your authority would reign for all that's going on right now whether it be over our flesh or whether it be over the enemy and his work in our lives, that he would be silent. That even those who might somehow always seem like they're hearing a voice would stop. Be still. As you speak, for your servants are listening this morning. Move in us, through us, move us. That we walk out a different place than where we came in. And we've been praying this, uh, knowing that it has nothing to do with my words this day. I do pray for your strength and for you to direct. But Lord, I pray that you would go beyond anything said. As only you can do right now, Jesus. Thank you. In your name, in your authority. Amen. If you would turn with me to our scripture this morning, James chapter 3. James chapter 3, as we continue on in our series in James. And we're going to look at <clears throat> verse 13. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come, from, come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder. And every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then peace loving, considerate, 
submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. You know, as we read that, the begin with verse 13, with the beginning question and the real question of the day for us is, who is wise and understanding among you? Who of us is wise and understanding? You know, we don't want to toot our own horn, but, you know, at least some of the time we feel like we've got it together. And, and, and we know oh, what to do. But there's got to be definitely times where we ask ourselves, I'm just, I'm just, I'm wondering, are there the times where we ask ourselves, what was I thinking? Right? You know? And so let's look at a little of what were they thinking? Where did they get their wisdom? Where did they think through this? Who told them how and what to do? Like this picture. Yeah, put an outlet in the sink. What were they thinking? What kind of wisdom are they working off of? Or how about this one? I can do it myself, honey. I'll put the toilet in. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure where their wisdom is coming from there. Or this one. I really like this one. That was great thinking. The face, can I get, see, can imagine his eyes just get closer and closer together until finally he's not even there. You open the windows all the way. That makes no sense. What were they thinking? How about this one? God, I, you know, I mean, besides what it is, it's like, uh, it looks like I drew it. Actually, that might be a little better than what I can do. But still, uh, is that really what, is that the wisest tattoo that you can get? Uh, how about this one? It might take you a moment to get it. Look at it. Oh, I got it strapped down real good. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, something's not going anywhere. <laughs> That's going to be bad. Oh, and then I love this one. Let's get my boat in the lake. Just drive it. That's what they tell you do. Oh, my, 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 my. There's definitely a question of where they got the wisdom. But here's the good news. And here's this next slide. We can find a wisdom that works from God above. That's the good news today. Even though there are all kinds of people in all kinds of situations, some of which might be ours. The good news is that we can find a wisdom that works from God above. Have you ever had a situation that you weren't sure exactly what to do? Or perhaps you thought you knew the right thing, but it just turned out wrong. And so what do you do? Well, you try harder. and It just gets worse. It doesn't seem to work. What do you do then? We need a wisdom that works. And where do you turn to get that wisdom to help you? When you don't know what to do regarding certain decisions or regarding certain problems that you're facing. Verse 17 tells us uh, that the wisdom that we need comes from heaven, not from humans. In fact, that verse lists out everything right there of what God's wisdom looks like. So that we can recognize it and be able to follow God's will for whatever problems we're facing, whatever direction that we need in our life. And this is so important today, especially for so many Christians are missing the clear wisdom that God promises to give us. There's just somebody like, I just don't know what to do, or I'm not sure, I'm not, I, I think I don't. So what we're going to do, instead of just kind of quickly going down through 
uh, this section of James 3 and, okay, well, this is what that verse means and, you know, kind of, hey, here's a word meaning here. I think we would maybe understand what the verses mean, but I'm not sure that we would all walk out of here understanding, uh, having a better understanding of what God's wisdom and his will is for our life. How do we discern that? How do you know this is God's wisdom? In verse 17, the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. All of those things, and there's no way we could carry them, cover all of them in one day. And so what I'm saying is we're going to just take some time to look at those elements of God's wisdom, how you know it's from Him. And the first thing that we know that is from to know that is wisdom from him is that we need to look for a godly wisdom that is pure that's what it says in verse 17 here but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure upon this all the other characteristics will follow upon this there it follows our purity in our and our moral integrity God's wisdom. You're not going to find God's wisdom when we're full of sinful actions and attitudes and motives that are impure. How are we really going to find that wisdom from God when that's not the way we are? In fact, the word uh, pure here comes from the same root as the word holy. Of a holiness. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to be 100% perfect in every way, but it does mean that we can't use the excuse that settles for well i'm mostly good i'm I'm, I'm, you know pretty i'm mostly good you know that doesn't cut it if we're really wanting to seek god and to hear from him mostly good doesn't cut it's like somebody you know me saying um you know i'm thirsty Could, could you get me something to drink and they come out with a glass and 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 i say is that water now, I say it's water because it kind of looks like water, except that it's got this greenish, yellowish tint kind of floating in it. And they, they, they tell me, yeah, 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 sure. This is mostly water. Uh, no, thanks. <clears throat> I need mostly water. God doesn't need mostly. But that we seek him in purity of life. To live as he wants for us and then we will find. In fact, that's really uh, what a, a part of, and we could look at each of these elements that are listed in 17 and find them in some different places like the fruit. But one of the places we can find them is in the Beatitudes in places like for this one, this point, blessed are they who are pure in heart for they will see God. The ones that will see God, the ones that for as we see God, so to speak, it helps us to be able to see his wisdom. That's why purity matters. Uh, Verse 17 says that wisdom comes from heaven. It is a gift from God. It is not something we get merely by reading our books here and there or expanding our mind or going through experiences of life. This is a wisdom that comes from being with God. A wisdom that comes from the God who said in James earlier in chapter 1, verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. So being pure in our relationship with God should come before our asking for this pure wisdom. Not just that ongoing sin could cause his face to turn from us and not listen, 
But that whole sense of why would God answer your prayer to help you and what you're going through to give you wisdom of what to do in this situation? Why would he give that to you thinking you're going to listen to the wisdom that he's going to give when we're not listening to the other things that he's already told us and we're just kind of doing our own thing? It's like, wait, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't know. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to obey that. But God, please tell me what to do. You see, the wisdom that does not work is talked about in verse 15 here in our passage in James 3. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. It's amazing how we as Christians, I think in general, most Christians recognize worldly living. You know, we recognize that's just not the way that you should live. That's not the what you should do. We recognize, and now that doesn't mean we always stay away from it, but we recognize so clearly what worldly living is, but for some reason we are not recognizing so clearly what worldly thinking is. We miss it. We don't get that. Instead, we try to deal with our problems and make our choices in life with a natural reasoning, with a, not a supernatural reasoning, with a, a, at least not necessarily something that would, you know, uh, move your boat in the water like that one there. But we have this thinking, you know, I, I, I've really thought this through. We've got our, our best logical human reasoning. Really at our best. Really thought it through. And yet, what does God say about that? What God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Our best is foolishness in God's sight. All too often, it's spirit, unspiritual, natural, human, fleshly wisdom that we are going on, and then we are passing it on to other believers. We're passing it on uh, to other believers. And, and, and so, because we hear it from so many people, we think, well, it must be true. In fact, it must be true because it sounds right. It sounds like that's the right thing to do. Why does it sound right? Because we keep hearing it over and over, but it doesn't make it right just because we hear it. From humans. What are we hearing from heaven? For there's a way, Proverbs 14, 12 says, that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. It's not purely from God, and so it doesn't bring the pure results. We need to seek God's pure wisdom. A part of that is by seeking to have a pure walk with him, but even beyond that, this impure fleshly wisdom that comes from the below that's been tainted with a focus on self, so to speak, is not that wisdom that comes from heaven. Verse 13, we started that. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. The deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom, a humility uh, without pride, without a focus on self. In fact, in verses 14 and 16, look at 14, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, 16 repeats that, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, 
are thinking on what the wise thing to do that's focused on taking care of my own little world, self-centered concern about how does this affect me, what's best for me, what's best, and not just for me, what's best for me and mine, what will help and not hurt me, what can I get out of this, what's the personal benefit or fulfillment in it for me, and that's how we make our decisions. Not from the wisdom of heaven, but from the wisdom of how do we take care of ourselves first. We look out for number one. How many of our decisions are made based on what's best for us? And we really don't think that there's anything wrong with that thinking. Because that's the way everybody thinks. Well, how else would you make a decision about what to do here? In fact, we even pray and ask God to help us. We ask God to give us wisdom. God, please give me wisdom. Tell me what to do that will be best for me. Do you hear what we're asking? God, uh, we're, we're looking to God, but we're saying, God, help me to know what's best for me. When and how many times? Are we making decisions that are purely 100% about what is best for God? Period. Making decisions about what is best for God and His kingdom. That is pure wisdom. Anything else you're hearing that throws in self there is not coming from God. This type of corrupted sin Worldly thinking is killing relationships around us, including our marriages, where people are primarily concerned about getting what they want, what they deserve, even saying, well, you know, I've really tried, but it's time, it's time for me to think about myself for once. But the pure wisdom of heaven does not think that way. It is completely different. And somebody says, well, but, 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 but listen, I, I'm just trying to look out for what's best for me. I mean... My spouse is obviously not going to do it. They're, they're not doing it. I mean, who's going to do it? Who else is going to who else is going to look out for for me? Who else is going to take care of that? How about a heavenly Father that loves you with an everlasting love, who takes care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field? Even as he talks about in that passage that I just referenced. He says, seek first in Matthew 6, 33, his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, not my kingdom, not my righteousness, not all things about me, but it's him. You know, part of the human reasoning and wisdom that we have regarding this it just doesn't work. Because we are expecting other people to do for us or to help us or, or, or meet some kind of need that they were never meant to need meet. We're trying to meet those needs that only Jesus can fulfill. Nobody else can fit into that God-shaped hole that is within each one of us. And I know some people have heard that and, oh, uh, that, that's how I knew uh, becoming, I asked Jesus to come into my life and so I filled that hole. Really? 
I think some people have met Jesus, but is he really in? Is he really working with you? Is he really, are you really living with him? It, it, that hole doesn't like just go away. It needs to continue to be filled with Jesus. And not looking for other people to do that. But that's the, with the wisdom of the world. Find somebody who will treat you right. Find somebody who will take care of this for you. Find somebody. We already have and somebody who has found us. And his name is Jesus. We don't always recognize when things are getting self-focused. There are just certain areas of our life because, because part of it is we can look at certain areas of life and say, you know what? This is all about somebody else. This is all about others. It's all about my family. It's all about people at work. It's all about this. It's not about me. And while that may be at least pure in what you're doing is about others, but it's tough for us to be 100% pure in why we're doing it. Sometimes self is mixed in with the why, which is why we get upset when people that we're really putting it all out for don't appreciate it or et cetera, et cetera. There has in probably each and every one of us a time where we come with a certain area that we are just purely selfish. This is what I want. I don't care about anybody else right now in this moment as long as I get what's coming to me. As long as it's done my way. But Jesus doesn't call us to our way. In fact, he calls us in Luke chapter 9 and in other places. He says this, he said to them all, Jesus then said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for me will save it. So here's the thing. If you're looking for God's wisdom of what to do in a situation, and you hear something that is calling you to deny yourself, to take up your cross and die, that's coming from Him. But if you're hearing something that says stand up for yourself, look out for number one, and live, that's not His. In seeking God's wisdom for a situation, we need to recognize the impurity of human wisdom that tries to mix in some heaven so that it sounds good. Well, this must be from God. It's, it's like the ever popular God wants you to be happy. God wants me to be happy. God loves you and he wants the best for you and doesn't want you to be unhappy. Uh, all this focus on the earthly, temporal, temporary happiness, but not the eternal heavenly holiness that he asks of us. This impure picture, uh, not only of how we're living, but we get an impure picture of God himself because it becomes when God just wants me happy that God exists for me. God exists to make me happy. That is his purpose as some big butler in the sky or perhaps just at best some doting rich grandfather. You think about similar worldly wisdom that tries to tell us that God doesn't want you to suffer. In spite of countless verses to the contrary of God's people suffering, even Jesus' own words who says in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus says that. 
But we've got this mixed up mixture of wisdom that goes, well, if, if God loves you and he wants you to be happy, and if the stuff that you're going through, if the stuff that you're going through is, is, is not making you happy, and, and, if, and obviously he doesn't want you to suffer, well, then you must not be in the right place. Just get out. You, you just, just quit whatever it is you're doing. Just imagine if the early church went with this kind of wisdom, there wouldn't be a church today because everybody would have just taken the easy route out and says, well, I'm done. It must not be God's will to have to face all that. In fact, how will we respond to our brothers and sisters in Christ in China, in North Korea, in Eritrea, and so many other places where they are beaten and persecuted, tortured and killed? Especially when what God's will says in 2 Timothy 3.12 here. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But that's not the wisdom that we hear from people. This is the word. So. We mix the impure wisdom, half heavenly, half earthly, and it just doesn't work. Even to the point where it tries to sound biblical and what it's being said and and people then pass it around and we can end up with this wisdom that just simply is not the truth of God's word. Like one of the things that probably many have heard and I think I've mentioned before, God will not give you more than you can handle. God will not give you more than you can handle. Now, when people say that, it's meant to be an encouragement. It's meant to be like, you got this. You can do it. You know, God's not going to give you more. In other words, as well, it's really, maybe it's just not as bad as the way you're feeling and what you're thinking, you know, because God's not going to give you more than you can handle. It's really not that bad, except when it really is that bad. It's horrible. And in those times, what do we do? In those times, if we've been working off of an impure wisdom that's kind of a mixed wisdom, then we start to question whether God is good. We start to question whether our faith is good. We start to question whether we are good. We must be bad and God is punishing us. Instead of questioning first the actual wisdom that makes us think that way, does that come from God? We need, and for some people, they just take the next step and uh, say, well, uh, I'm experiencing more than I can handle right now. So what I need to do is just get out, quit, leave. It must not be of God because he's not going to give me where I can handle. So this is not God. False. It's not a Bible verse. It's not the truth. Here's the truth. God will certainly give you more than you can handle. God will certainly give you more than you can count on it. He's not going to give us more than he can handle, more than he can handle as he walks with us. And there are countless examples of people in the Bible. I mean, are we going to, how many are going to say to Job, you know, God's not going to give you more than he can handle. I mean, really? I think he got more than he can handle. If you don't know that, then you need to read that again. In fact, there are so many other scriptures that talk about that. Even the great apostle Paul. Here's somebody that should be walking in God's will, right? Somebody should have pure and the way he's going. And so he's got it together. And he does. 
But this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Paul is saying he suffered. Paul? Yes. In fact, he doesn't stop there. You just go down to verse 8 and 9. And he says this, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we are experienced in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had been received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Do you see what he's saying right here? Paul says it was beyond their ability to endure, meaning it was more than they could humanly handle. Completely against that popular, unpure, impure wisdom. Paul is saying he got more than we can handle. Why? Well, one of the reasons he says at the very end there is that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. But God, the draw is to himself that we would use and look to Christ as our first resource and not our last resort. It is these kind of wisdoms that we hear all around and, and things that people are referring to. I mean, this, what we've been talking about here fits in with that another popular one from the, uh, you'll find it in the second book of Benjamin Franklin, chapter 3. Uh, you can feel free to try, try to, you know, Go there if you want, but I'll just tell you what it says. God helps those who help themselves. Boy, it sounds so good. And we like to say that to people who are not, but you know what? The centrality of Christianity and Christ and what he did for us was the cross. The cross is a perfect example of a God who helps those who cannot help themselves. While we were yet his enemies and completely unable in any way, God left heaven, humbled himself, came down and gave up his life to save us from the consequences of our sin Because there was nothing we could do, but it is only by His grace, not just that we are saved, it is only by His grace that we are to live. We have got to grab a hold fully of a wisdom of God that is not mixed in with a whole bunch of other stuff if we're going to figure out what to do with our lives. In fact, we move on. Uh, In a sense, I say move on, but the reality is This is the next point, but we're not going to go there today. Uh, In a sense, we need to, uh, just this this happened early this morning. And in the direction, just kind of uh, God reminded me of uh, a a couple weeks ago, uh, two or three weeks ago at at conference. uh, There was a, a topic for prayer that God brought to my mind for us to pray about. Uh, many of you may have caught that right before a message, uh, when we're not got communion or something else going on, we want to just take a time of prayer about something specific. And he, uh, 
just kind of said, here's what we need to be praying about together. And it may be just a divine appointment, whether you're here or you're, you're listening. But it has to do with those who have become weary. or suffering from weariness and all the trouble that's going on in your own life, let alone uh, the troubles that are all around us that we're hearing about. It's about those who are worn out, worn down, can't take any more. You have an exhaustion. You're just exhausted. But it's not a, it's not a physical exhaustion because you get eight hours of sleep and you wake up and you're still just exhausted because it's inside. It's not a, just a physical thing. And no amount of sleeping or right eating is going to change that. I mean, those are good. Those are important. Elijah, burn out. God fed him. He took, he slept. You know, sometimes that's what's needed. But sometimes it's, it's what do you do about this weariness? Where do you turn for the wisdom? In a sense, as we think about this message this morning, where do we turn to for wisdom of how to deal with the weariness that we're feeling? And many don't turn anywhere. They just turn it up. They just keep pressing on, running on fumes. Others use the wisdom that they hear from the world and do something to just kind of escape from it all. Oftentimes things that are not healthy, even sinful and harmful. Others have difficulty in those times of great weariness of turning and relying on their faith and turning to God. Because they're like, where is God? I would turn to God if I knew where he was at. But obviously, look at all the problems in my life. Look at what's happening. God must not be around. And why do we think that way? We think that way because somewhere we have been given this wisdom that God wants us happy, that God doesn't want us to suffer. He's never going to let us happen. You know, all those kind of things leads us to start questioning in these moments like this about whether all this is real. But it's based off of a false narrative. Where is God? The human wisdom that puts together all this stuff that sounds sounds right, but it's not. Here's what God says to those who are weary. In Isaiah 40, verse 29, he gives strength to the weary and increases power of the weak. Perhaps that's God's verse for you. Not just today, but this week to grab a hold of. He says, he gives strength to the weary, increases power of the weak. That's what God's doing. And yet there are Believers who who still buy into the wisdom of the world that says, listen, when you're weary, when you're just wearied of all this, what you need to do is you just need to pull your car over and stop. Just pull your car over and stop. In other words, quit. Check out. Give up. Don't do any more. Don't, don't do what you're doing here. Just focus just on, on this one thing. Just sit. And there's so many places throughout the word of God that tells us to press on. Like Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if, if we do not give up to press on in his power. You see, what might seem like wise to just pull over and stop and not do anything, guess what? That wisdom doesn't change anything. Nothing changes. It doesn't fix the problem with your car that's running on fumes, pulling it over to the side of the road. We need to be filled up with a power that comes from the outside, not 
trying to fire up a willpower inside of us. What we need to do is what we're going to do right here, right now, as we finish out this service, is to pray and to seek the Lord in this. Kevin's going to come, and as I said before, worship team, that's up to you. See, our first response and looking for God for wisdom for that is to hear Jesus speak to us. Here are his words in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. These are not just nice words and what can be. This is wisdom from God. This is his will. More than that, he's saying, here's how you do it. Come to me. So in these moments right now, what we're going to do is just to have you come to Jesus, so to speak. And maybe you need to change your position to get on your knees before him. For others, it may be to stand and just hold out your arms as if to receive the strength, the power that he wants to give. It may have things not just about the weariness that maybe that's not what you're experiencing, but you've been faced with problems and troubles and decisions that you don't know what to do, and it's been influenced by a mixed up kind of wisdom that's coming your way and you know that needs to change especially when you've been thinking about yourself and it's not been a hundred percent seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness to come before him so just take some moments and silence here to pray before him and then i'll lead us in a prayer about this with me in your heart in this prayer Lord I'm tired I'm exhausted not only by the circumstances of my own life but by the situations that are going out there in the world today I need your strength and so I come to you now I call to you to provide For you are the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, and you will not grow faint, and you will not grow weary. And it's to you that we can come. Lord, I come. Weary and burdened, in need of your rest. Not a rest that pulls over to the side of the road and stops. But in the midst of all that is moving, the resting in you. 
and a decision to take your yoke and to learn from you because your yoke is easy. Your work, what you're calling is easy and your burden is light. And I thank you that I can find rest for my soul in you. In this moment, I exchange my weakness for your power. I let go of, of self and my wants, desires, and all those things and receive your Lordship ruling over all and ask that you, Holy Spirit, would come and fill afresh and anew to overflowing with your presence and your power. Lord, I thank you that you can do this. I thank you that you say, as you said earlier, that you are the one who gives us strength to the weary and increases power of the weak. In fact, just after that, Lord, you tell us that those who wait upon you, those who hope in you will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles and run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. Praise you. I know even for me personally, as you're reminded of that picture, to stop flapping the wings so much and just allow the wind of your spirit to guide, to empower, to move along and soar in the way you want to go. Help us to do that now in a way that is purely you as we think about you, the great and awesome and holy God.